We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Verses 15 through 23. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you. Happy New Year officially uh, in the new year here. And so it's, uh, and it's good to join with you in 2021. Uh, I pray that we get together every Sunday um, through this year and we're forced to stay home through none of them. Uh, what a blessing uh, that would be that we used to take for granted, I believe. And so um, pray that that would be the case this year. But it's good to see you. Hey, a couple of announcements for you uh, before we jump into this text. Uh, first of all, as you leave and you're going around the corner back towards the parking lot, um, we have salt down to try to help with that, but it is really icy right now, right next to the corner. So swing wide, right? Swing wide. Don't, don't be a race car. Try to cut the corner off uh, at, in, the, in the inside turn. Go wide and, uh, and, and save yourself from a fall there. Hopefully that ice melts before the next group comes in, but just wanted to, to give you that. Uh, also, uh, Covenant members, uh, as you know, we are um, uh, in the middle of our, uh, our global offering campaign, our global outreach campaign, where we're raising money for the sake of uh, the gospel to go forth to the nations, a $50,000 goal over three months. Uh, we're officially two months into that goal, uh, and we have had, as of today, $41,000 given to that um, offering above and beyond your normal giving. It's a huge Huge thing, guys. I mean, uh, I just want you to grasp this for a moment. Our church's budget outside of this offering is $300,000. And so to have a goal of $50,000 more in addition to that is a, is a significant amount of money. And, uh, and we're already 41000 into that, which means that you have $9,000 to go in the next 31, well, I guess now it's like 28 days. All right, so I um, encourage you to, if you've not given to that, to continue praying about that and how the Lord would have you uh, do that. But we're excited for the sake of the gospel um, to go forth this year through the money that we're able to use to fund that. And then let me just say this before we jump into this text. Uh, today is the first Sunday of January, uh, which means that today is the day that we as a church uh, turn six years old. 
officially. Six years ago tomorrow, uh, we, celebra- we, we had our first ever um, corporate worship gathering where we said we are officially a church gathered together. Uh, and so in the last six years, the Lord has been incredibly um, gracious and kind to us. We've had um, tough seasons, hard seasons, challenging seasons, uh, none of which uh, maybe rivaled the last year, but the Lord has been faithful and you have continued to be faithful. I'm incredibly encouraged and blessed and thankful to be your pastor. Uh, and so um, it's weird. When you, once you turn six, birthdays for a church kind of don't feel the same. You know, it's like your first birthday, you're like, we made it. Right, we made it through a year. Second birthday is really important because 80% of like uh, startups fail within the first two years. So you're like, hey, we made it past like two years. Third, you're like, yeah. Fifth, you're like, hey, this is a huge milestone. Sixth, you're just kind of like, well, now we're a church, right? We we kind of have to stop saying, hey, we're a church plant, so don't worry about that. We're kind of we're we're out of being a baby. We're kind of in that point where, hey, you're kind of expected to be grown up a little bit. And so, um, so now the pressure is on for us to be grown up. But the Lord has been incredibly gracious. We we have uh, seen His kindness. So thank you, covenant members, for your faithfulness and for your love of each other, for your love of the gospel, for your service of this church. Um, this church is a product of your faithfulness um, and the Spirit's grace to us uh, as we walk together. So thank you for that, and happy birthday to you, Emmaus. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into this text. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. You are incredibly kind to bring us here. In a new year, 52 weeks of sermons. Father, may we be faithful from this pulpit. May we be faithful in our seats. May we we be faithful as we dig in and study the word. And we thank you that your spirit will be faithful to speak to us, to convict our hearts, and to encourage us to bring forth wisdom and insight and conviction from your scriptures. May 2021 be a year of us growing in our joy as followers of Christ and us growing in our holiness as followers of Christ. And may those two things grow together. As we grow in holiness, may we walk in more joy. And as we find more joy in the person and the work of Christ, may our holiness increase. Begin that today with this text. As we talk about the sanctification of our hearts and the killing of our sin, because we are already dead to sin. We pray these things in your name. Amen. In uh, 2001, I took my first of now uh, 15, 16 trips to Senegal, West Africa, and, uh, and went there for an extended period of time that year. Most of, uh, or at least a, a large part of 2001 was there. And, uh, and when we went there, one of the first things that they took us to see was this island called Gori Island. Gori Island sits about two miles off the coast of Dakar, Senegal. Gori Island was a slave trade island. And so you take this ferry out to the island, and you, uh, you get off, and it's a beautiful island, absolutely gorgeous. And you start walking through it with someone who's giving you uh, a tour of this island. They show you all the beautiful architecture. They show you these historic um, churches. They show you all of these amazing buildings and, and different sites. They, they show you uh, uh, World War I and World War II military sites that are on this island that are more recent than some of the other uh, slave trade quarters. And, and one of the last things that you typically do is go to the, um, the slave house the house where they would shackle and hold the slaves, where the masters of these slaves, the the traders of them, the traffickers of them, would gather upstairs above the slaves for their parties. 
And as you tour this room in this slave house and, and see the things that are going on, uh, as you walk into the main door of it, there's two stairways, that, two stone stairways that arch up and around to where the, 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 the traffickers, the, the masters would stay. And right below the, that, that house, through the middle of those two, do- those two stairways, you see down this long stone tunnel a door, and out that door is simply the sea. Miles and miles and miles of the Atlantic Sea. They call it the door of no return. And you would walk to that door, and you would stand there, and you would look out with the smell of salt water coming in off the sea. You'd look through this stone hallway, out this door, at this ra- the raging waves crashing against this stone house on the very edge of Africa. And they would tell you of the millions of slaves who were sent out from this house to the United States and to the Americas. It was a sinking feeling like a lump in the throat, like a nausea, like, like wickedness and evil and hatred rose up within me in this place, like a hatred for this wickedness and this evil. Like, like we would take people there who would stand there and they couldn't stay there. They would come, they would see it, and they would have to turn around and walk away. We've had people literally vomit of just the feeling that you got looking out this door where all of these lives were sent in shackles off to slavery. I've seen this island. I've seen that door. I've stood in that door well over 20 times now. I still remember the first, but every time I stand there still to this day, I have the same feeling. Now, in full disclosure, within recent years, historians have said that perhaps uh, Gori was not as significant of a trade island as Senegal has said it is. They've said perhaps it wasn't these tens of millions. Perhaps it was simply tens of thousands that were sent out. But it doesn't remove the feeling of standing there and watching this and seeing where these people left. My prayer as I've been studying this text is that that feeling that I had, that disgust at this door of no return, would be what would grow within me through this text. In many ways, Paul is painting for us a picture of a doorway to slavery. And he's saying, stand and look out this door at the raging sea that is crashing. If you step into sin, you are walking out that door. I pray that they would stir up within me a hatred for sin, a disgust at sin, a nausea in my stomach at sin. That my body and my emotions and my heart and my soul would have a a rejection of that place, of those things. I pray it would be the same for us. Paul's going to continue here in chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. His rhetorical question and answer that he began in chapter 6, verse 1. His rhetorical question and answer about grace and sin. Last week, Paul told us, that grace is not a license to sin. So at the end of chapter 5, he had said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He knows what that will stir up within the heart of man. He knows what that will stir up within us of, well, if there's more grace whenever I sin, then why not just keep sinning? Why worry about beating my sin? Why worry about stopping that? Why pursue holiness if God just continues to give me grace? And so Paul addresses that at the beginning of this chapter. 
And he addresses that again here. Last week, he called us to remember who we were. He said, listen, that by, by no means, 10 times in Romans, he, he asks a rhetorical question and responds with, no, absolutely not. Two of them we see here in chapter six, chapter six, verse one, chapter six, verse 15. Should we then continue to sin because we're not under law, but under grace, he says in verse 15? Absolutely not. It's unthinkable. Right? It would be unthinkable to do this. Last week, he called us to remember who we are. You are in Christ, right? If you have placed your faith in Christ, then through your faith in Christ, you've been made one with Christ, which means that Christ's death is your death and Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. And if you died with Christ, then you have died to sin. You are no longer that same person. You're now alive in Christ. Therefore, you do not have to obey sin because you've already died to it. It has no true authority over you anymore. It is not your master. Today, Paul is going to unpack for us this idea of sin as a master. And though it may not be our true master, at many times we choose to make it our master. We choose to make sin our master. Paul's going to unpack this for us today, and he's going to use this illustration of slavery. But to be clear, it's not simply an illustration. Slavery is not simply an illustration of this. Paul says it's the reality of your sin. It's not just like, let me explain to you what it's kind of like. He's like, no, by sinning, this is what you are doing. At the end last week, he boldly um, exhorted us to consider ourselves dead to our sin. We are to live as the people who we really are. If we are truly dead to our sin, then consider yourself dead to your sin. Be who you are. Remember who you are. Live as who you truly are in Christ. Stop being who you're not. Today, he's going to bring us to this issue of slavery, but he's going to unpack for us something that may make some of us a little uncomfortable. He's going to unpack this, that you are a slave to somebody. There's only two options. And at every moment and every point of your life, you are a slave to one of two masters. You are a slave to obedience, to Christ, to righteousness, or you are a slave to sin. Two options. There's never an in-between. Right? There's never a point where we just get to slip by and go, you know what, right now I'm not being incredibly obedient to God, so I don't know that he's really my master right now, but I'm not really giving myself to sin either. He says, no, there's, there's two options. You live like a slave to Christ, or you live like a slave to sin. Verses 15 through 23, he's going to take this illustration of slavery, and he's going to unpack it for us. And so I want us to read this. I want us to see this. I want us to, to hear this and to feel this within our souls today. I pray that it would convict us, but also encourage us. Paul's going to land heavy on the results of being a slave to sin. And he's also going to land heavy on the joys of being a slave to obedience. He's going to unpack for us that when we choose to sin, church, we're not simply giving in to temptation. It's how we love to talk about it so often. You know, I just kind of gave in to the temptation on that. But we are submitting ourselves as slaves to a wicked, 
evil, destructive, devouring master who will kill us. It's not to be played with. So let's see what he says, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means, right? Again, like he did in verse one, absolutely not. The question you might be asking is, so at the end of chapter five, he said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So at the beginning of chapter one, uh, chapter six, he says, so what then? If, if grace abounds all the more, should we just keep on sinning? Absolutely not. And as you move through uh, chapter uh, six towards um, verse 14, um, he says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. So he goes, listen, a day is coming when sin will not have dominion over you. It will not get the last word. It will not be your master in the end if you have faith in Christ. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you've died with Christ, you've risen with Christ, there's coming a day when sin will be defeated once and for all. No dominion over you. Chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Right, so the question that Paul is stirred up within Paul's mind and heart that he anticipates the Romans having, that he anticipates you having, is this. Well, if sin is ultimately going to be defeated, if I'm ultimately going to get to revel in God's grace at the end of the day, then, then it, should I not worry about taking sin quite so seriously today? After all, it's just 60 more years of sin having some, some footing in my life, 60 more years of me looking at porn, 60 more years of my bitterness, 60 more years of my anger, 60 more years of my pride, just, just a few more years of me dealing with this. I'm going to be gone from here, uh, and then when I'm gone from here, sin will have no dominion over me, an eternity of freedom. So, so why take it so seriously right now? Paul goes, it's ridiculous. Why would you even think that way? Verse 16, do you not know that if you, were, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Don't you know that if you present yourself as a slave, in obedience, that you have made yourself a slave. Whoever you choose to obey in this moment is who you, someone you have chosen to place yourself under as a slave to. You cannot participate right, in sin and not submit yourself to sin as a slave. Right? Many of us have this idea that we can dabble in sin. Right? We, can, we can play in sin. We can, we can touch sin. We can pet it. We can get close to it and admire it. We can ask, find, find that line. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. The most common question, where is the line of physicality before marriage, right? We can get as close as we can to the line without crossing over into sin. Let's look at it. Let's gaze at it. Let's admire it. Let's play with it. Let's get close to it. Let's sort of sin. Let's barely sin. Just give in a little bit, but not give myself over to being mastered by it. And Paul goes, no, that's not an option. You don't get to barely sin. You don't get to dabble in sin. You can't just um, sort of sin, but not be mastered by sin. If you sin, you are a slave to that sin. Now understand, in the picture of what we have seen already within this chapter last week, you have been freed 
eternally speaking, through faith in Christ, by dying to sin with Christ, you have been freed from the dominion of sin over your life, right? It's not your master. Yet, at the same time, we in each day and every moment of our lives have to choose who we will follow as our master in that moment. And when you choose sin, a single act of sin, you're not just dabbling, you are enslaving yourself to sin. You're acting as a slave and putting yourself in chains, walking out that door. There's no casual relationship with sin. There's no partial participation in sin. Two choices. We are slaves to sin or we are slaves to obedience. Slaves to obedience. Paul unpacks for us here the result of slavery. Let's read verse 16 again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul goes, there's two options. In every moment, at every face of temptation, you choose to live as a slave to obedience or you choose to live as a slave to sin. And they both have results. If you choose to live as a slave to sin, the result is death. And if you choose to live as a slave to obedience, the result is righteousness. These are our two options. Every time lust calls our name, every time hate boils within, every time pride tells us to promote ourselves or to defend ourselves, every time we see temptation, we have a choice to sell ourselves into slavery to sin or to give ourselves into slavery to obedience. And one choice will result in death while the other choice results in righteousness. Scott Hubbard said about this, with every rise of sinful desire, we have a choice. Either follow Jesus into newness of life or revert to our old slave master. One of them commands us to take up our cross now only to raise us from the dead. The other promises an easy life now, only to kill us in the end. Take up your cross, be a slave of obedience now, and receive life in the end. Or choose death, or choose uh, the easy path now, and go indulge in the sin, enslave yourself to it, and receive death in the end. Verses 17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to the lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now in the middle of this section, Paul drops this very, uh, very interesting phrase, almost feels like a great dig, does it not? 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Guys, I'm trying to make this as simple as I possibly can for you. I'm trying to illustrate this and bring it down to a level that you'll understand so that you can grasp this. What's he explaining for us? But thanks be to God, verse 17, that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Do you see the past tense here? If you have died with Christ through faith in Christ, you have been set free from sin. You have become a slave of righteousness. Right? It has happened to you. It has been done to you through faith in Christ. Paul is, in this moment, he goes, listen, you are a slave to sin. If you choose sin, you choose death. But thanks be to God that you are not, eternally speaking, a slave to sin. You have stopped being a slave to sin. You once were that. But now you are obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Sin leads to death. Praise God you're not a, master of, or not a slave of sin. Praise God. Thank God it's not your master. You're not its slave. You have been set free from that through the power of Christ. You were obedient from the heart. This echoes Jeremiah, does it not? That he will write the heart, the, the, his law upon our hearts. You've been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, right? To, to this gospel. You've heard of Christ. Your faith has been placed in Christ. And now from the heart, uh, through faith, you have been freed from your sin. And you are now, you have become slaves of righteousness. He's reminding them of their status. You were slaves to sin. You were slaves, now you are slaves to obedience. You have been freed from slavery to sin. You have been freed for slavery to righteousness. So last week, what we said was he was calling us to remember who we are. And this week, I would say he's calling us to remember what it costs you. What your sin costs you. It costs you death, but you have been freed from that. You were slaves to impurity and lawlessness, and it led to more lawlessness, he says. Look at verse, oh, verse 18. Have been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms, verse 19, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members of slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He's calling us to remember what it was like. Do you remember when you were a slave to sin? All that sin led to was more sin. Sin never just terminated in and of itself. It never just ended. You didn't, it wasn't just like, let me sin and it will get it out of my system. Or like, like, like the food addict, let me just have some more sugar and, and then I won't crave sugar anymore. Alcoholic, let me just have another drink and I won't crave beer anymore. Let me just have another hit and I won't crave heroin anymore. He says, listen, like, it just keeps getting worse. 
You give yourself to it. It gets into your blood system, your, your, your soul system, and it continues to grow. You want more and more and more. It continues to unravel upon itself. Sin leads to sin. It births sin. Likewise, he says, obedience leads to obedience. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Right? When we choose to walk in obedience as slaves to Christ, and we walk in obedience to his word, as we walk in freedom from sin and we obey Christ, it leads to our sanctification, our becoming more like Christ, our becoming more holy. As you present your body as a slave to righteousness time and time again, it leads to your sanctification. You're becoming more Christ-like. I once had someone in a church tell me that they refused to give to the church because they couldn't do it from their heart. They didn't, they didn't want to give just as a stale act of obedience. They wanted to want to give. <laughs> and so this is that issue. I looked at them and I said, you know what? Sometimes we, are, we obey when we don't want to. Right, my son's not allowed to run down I-29 just because he doesn't feel like obeying. Oh, you know what, Dad? I'll, I'll stay off the interstate once I feel like staying off the interstate. You choose to enslave yourself to obedience. And as you do so time and time again, obedience and sanctification grow in you. Oftentimes the desire to obey grows out of the practice of obeying. You obey when you don't want to. You tell the truth when you'd rather tell the lie. You protect the purity of your eyes when you'd rather indulge. You submit yourself quietly and patiently when you'd rather explode, when you'd rather defend yourself. And as you do that, over time, sanctification grows. And then it becomes a joy. It's this idea that over time, the obedience we give to God or to sin shapes us. Moments of giving in to lust shape the coming moments, the days, and the years. The moments of giving in to fear shape our coming moments and our days and our years. Moments of giving in to bitterness towards your spouse shape the moments and the days and the years ahead. The moments of embracing purity shape the coming moments, days, and years of purity. Moments of obedience, or excuse me, moments of obedient generosity shape coming moments, days, and years of generosity. Moments of gentleness and patience with your spouse or with your kids shape the coming moments and days and years with your spouse and your kids. What you choose to enslave yourself to will grow within you. It will have a result. One leads to righteousness, to sanctification, ultimately to joy because you become more like Christ, which is what you are created to be like in the first place. The other leads to death because it drags you further and further away from your created purpose, and that is to walk in a loving relationship with the creator of the world, giving him glory from the innermost part of your being. Verse 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit 
were you getting at that time from the things which you now are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. So Paul begins, he says, listen, when you were a slave to sin, you weren't a slave to righteousness. You didn't have to obey when you were a slave to sin. No one expected you to do that. I've had this conversation with many people. They're just upset that their lost family or their lost friends, those who don't know Christ, are sinning. Like, sinners sin. People without the Spirit, that's what to expect. You can't expect them to be anything different than what they are doing. They're not expected to obey. They're not expected to walk in righteousness. They're not expected to be a slave to righteousness. They're a slave to sin. He says, but what fruit were you getting from that? See, the picture he's painting is this idea that man, it, it, it's really appealing on some level, is it not, to not have to worry about obeying God? Isn't it appealing to your soul to just go indulge in whatever desires you want today to some level? For some of you, you don't have to dig very far to find that level. Others of you, you've been enslaving yourself to obedience for a pattern of time, and it's, you, there's this like distaste in your mouth for it. You're like, oh, I can't even, can't even imagine going back to that right now. That's the picture Paul's painting for us. This is the picture he's painting for us. He goes, listen, what, what benefit was it to you? What fruit came out of your slavery to sin? In fact, it led to shame, right? The, or the things that now, it's the things now you look back on and you are ashamed of them. You know, when we throw out the word shame, I just want to be clear that there, there is a sinful and an unhealthy form of shame, right? Shame is something that the enemy takes and twists. It's a great tool of his many times. Like anything that has some benefit, it's a great tool of the enemy's as well. There's many of us in this room who walk in shame because of things that someone else did to us. Someone else did something to us. They said something to us. They treated us in a certain way. And we walk in shame because of what someone else did to us. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's an unhealthy form of shame. It's, it's not good. It's, it's a broken form of it. And if you find yourself in a place of shame because of something someone else did to you, there's some work to be done within your soul around what has happened and the gospel applied to that. You shouldn't walk in shame because of something someone else did to you. We would love to walk through that with you. Some of us walk in shame over things we did, but not in like the healthy way of walking in shame, not the healthy way of like being ashamed of it. But we like let shame overcome us to the point to where we feel so unlovable by God. We feel like there's no hope for us. We feel like there's no chance to get back. We just wallow in our shame, stay in a pit of shame. We can't see the hope of the gospel through our shame. And this is an unhealthy version of that as well. Right, when Paul goes, you think back on slavery to sin, these are the things that we're now ashamed of. He doesn't just mean we're laying in bed all day, can't get out in shame and this like depression set in from our shame. He's, he's saying, listen, like, when I think back at who I was before Christ, when I think back at the filth within my heart, when I think back at the images that I craved for and that I indulged in, 
when I think back to the acts that I did to other people for my own gain, it's like standing at the door of no return and gazing out of it and having a sinking feeling come up in my stomach of just absolute disgust that humanity could do that. How sick do you have to be to do this? Paul goes, remember when you were a slave to sin and be disgusted at it. Don't just casually look at it and be like, oh, but praise God, I'm free from that. Let it sink in for a moment and realize just how perverted and twisted and wicked you were before Christ. It's something to be ashamed of. There's nothing to look back at that and go, oh yeah, well, I wasn't that bad. Your sin was worthy of your death and God's wrath. But because of Christ, we get to look that shame in the face. Say, oh, but the blood of Christ paid for that. The blood of Christ paid for that. Paul goes, what fruit did it give you? It only led to death. Verse 22. But now... But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. He juxtaposes the slavery to sin and its end result with slavery to God and its end result. Slavery to God leads to sanctification and all that comes with that. Slavery to God leads us to becoming more what we were created to be, Slavery to God leads us to patience and to kindness and to joyfulness and to contentment. Slavery to God leads us to joyfully serve others. Slavery to God leads us to live in peace and hope um, of our relationship with God. Slavery to God allows us to rest in our efforts to please God because Christ has been pleasing to God in our behalf. Slavery to God leads us to an unfailing promise of eternal life. He goes, can, can we just for a moment do a compare and contrast of the results of these two? Is it not much more life-giving to choose obedience? One commentator said, those who give themselves to God find themselves walking in newness of life. They discover the grand secret that holiness is not a stuffy thing, not a grim thing, not a religious thing, but rather, as Thomas Watson put it, heaven begun in the soul. God's servants become more dignified, more noble, more what they were always supposed to be. In a word, they become more like Christ. Oh, church, I hope that in 2021 we learn that obedience is not stifling. Obedience is not a joy killer doesn't remove the rush of life. It lets you experience life to its fullness. You have been set free from death. So live. Live. Look out that door of no return. Stare death in the face, slavery to sin in the face. Feel the shame and the remorse over it. And then turn around. Walk the other direction and live. 
He says in verse 23, one of the most famous verses in the scriptures probably, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whomever you are a slave to will reward you. The master of sin promises you everything, but in the end will only give you death. When you give into slavery, you're earning a wage from sin, death. It will pay you what you've earned. Sin has a large bank account ready to roll out towards you. It always makes its payments. You sin, you earn the payment, the wage, death. But when you give yourself to slavery to God, through faith in Christ, you do not get paid what you are worth. Rather, you receive a free gift. A gift you did not earn, a gift you did not buy, a gift you could not afford. You're given the gift of eternal life freely. I love how Paul wraps up a passage on making yourself a slave to obedience by going, when you are a slave to obedience, you receive a free gift. He doesn't use the same word, you get a wage. You don't work for obedience only to be paid what you earned, eternal life. You work for obedience, and guess what? You still couldn't buy eternal life. But it is given to you freely through Christ Jesus. So because of that, keep working. Labor, the labor from freedom. Labor, the labor from love and life that has already been given to you in the person and the work of Christ. In summary, you can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to God. You cannot be both. If you have died with Christ, you have eternally been made free from sin because you have died to sin. But you still, today, as you leave here, can choose to enslave yourself today to sin. If you find yourself in that place, if in your life right now, you're looking at your life and you've found yourself enslaved to sin once again, you've chosen to walk right back to that master like the, like the Israelites did after leaving Egypt. They longed to go back to Egypt. And you found yourself actually back in Egypt, back indulging in sin, playing the part of a slave to sin again. Remember who you are. You're free from that. Remember what sin costs you, death. And remember what Christ has promised you, life. Confess your sin. Confess it to him, confess it to another. Confess your sin. Repent of it, turn from it. Do whatever it takes to put discipline in your life not to walk back into that sin. And choose to enslave yourself to obedience today. As we said last week, Christ is not a cruel master who's waiting for you to come back into his enslavement camp and beat you for wandering off. He stands as the father to the prodigal son with his arms wide open running down the road to embrace you, to, to clothe you, to put his ring of approval on you, and to throw a feast for you. Come home to him. Come home. He's not just a cruel master. He's also your loving father. Come home to him. Jesus, we thank you.
We thank you for your word this morning. Would you cause it to ring true within our hearts? Convict us where there needs to be conviction. May there be much confession and repentance that comes in the coming days. May there be freedom that comes in the coming days. And may there be obedience that comes in the coming days. And may we obey even when we don't feel like it. And may our obedience upon obedience upon obedience lead us to understand the joy of obedience. May our souls be freed to be slaves to the God who is also our Father. Father, if there are any in this room who have never placed their faith in Jesus, may today the hope of life, may the hatred and the fear of death, may the kindness of a God who calls them into repentance and life lead them to place their faith in Jesus. His perfect life, substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection. May they look to Jesus, the Son of God, his death on the cross, his resurrection. May they be saved today. May they be set free today from sin. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, every day we take, every week we take communion. Today you're invited to come do so. Again, like last week, May the idea, may the taste, may the smell of death ring true. And I would even pray that as you come today and you take this broken bread and you take this juice, perhaps you would, you would see that door of no return, that door of slavery that we were all walking out of and trapped to. May we be reminded that through Christ's broken body and his shed blood, we have been set free from that. May we worship him for it. In a moment, you'll stand, you'll exit to your right, you'll come down, you'll take the, the bread, you'll have hand sanitizer, have bread placed in your hand, you can pick up a cup, go back to your seat and take. If you're not um, a follower of Jesus, our invitation to you is not to come take this, but to stay in your, in your chair. Today, instead of taking this bread and juice, we, we invite you to take Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus, and for the first time ever, taste life. We'd love to talk to you about that after the service. Church, come and take. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.